So, lesson 16. Guided by God's presence, the pillar of cloud and fire. And we're in Exodus chapter 13. So I'd like to read um, verses 17 to 22. And then, by way of um, further illustration, I've got a couple of other verses I want to refer to as well and read later on in Exodus without wishing to steal the thunder of any future speakers but I do think they give us a bit of um, bit more insight into the pillar of cloud and fire my text it's nice to try and pull a text out of the verse and I maybe have that as an anchor for everything else that's said is verse um, 22 the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Let's go to, um, to verse 17 of Exodus 13. So I should say we are post the plagues. Um, we are now post the um, Passover and all of the ceremony that went with that. And not just the initial Passover activities, the taking of the lamb, the slaying of the lamb, the daubing of its blood, and the eating of it. Um, all of that has now happened, and the lasting ordinance has been announced. So this isn't a one-off. This is something that the people would be remembering annually, um, indefinitely. So all of that's done, and now we're on the brink of the Exodus. Verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear by saying, God will surely visit you and shall carry you up and you shall carry my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Let's go to a couple of verses in chapter 14, verse 19 and 20. Then the angel of God, who had been travelling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. And verse 24, during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. 
And then let's go to Exodus 33. A couple of verses there. Exodus 33, verse 9. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. <coughs> the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And then finally, Exodus 40, last chapter. Then the cloud, sorry, verse 34 to 38 of Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all of the house of Israel during all their travels. So, um, <clears throat> just again to try and paint the picture, I, I do find my imagination um, running wild a little bit with this story but I think it's a healthy thing um, because while we're told a certain amount I think we're also left uh, with to fill in the blanks ourselves fill in some of the details ourselves but just to to put some context behind it we have as we've said so far 400 plus years worth of slavery so they've been in Egypt for 430 years I'm assuming it took a little while for them to um, kind of evolve into this um, refugee community that ended up a workforce for the Egyptians. Um, many of them, uh, actually all of them at this stage, had only ever known refugee status. We said that last week. Um, and, you know, they'd been promised that they were going to be the object of God's special affection and that they would have their own land, their own country to call home. And a key reason why they needed that is because they were God's special chosen people and God had plans for them to worship him in a unique way which they could not do in Egypt. And this was a promise that God had made um, many many hundreds of years before we were thinking about 15 or 16 generations before and now i'm imagining imagining the excitement of uh, the people of israel somehow i always put myself in the shoes of a little boy in the camp and he's heard these stories he's witnessed the plagues he's witnessed the amazing miracle um of being um of the Israelite firstborn being killed um, and he's seen the Passover for the first time really strange bizarre thing that God had commanded through Moses and um, you know it's like he, he can't he can't believe 
the reality that he finds himself in after all those hundreds of years of promises God's promises now come into fruition and I'm going to experience it um, you know we we fall into the trap uh, of having the the big picture we know we know the end from the beginning because it's all written down for us but they didn't in those days um, I wanted to show you a map today. I, I'm not going to show you that for a reason I'll explain in a minute. But I googled um, the crossing of the Red Sea. And of course you have, um, you have all kinds of images that you can select on Google. And it, it shows you the variations in, of what people think the route may have been. Um, and I'm thinking of this little boy. He's never been out of, um, he's never been out of Egypt. Um, and actually he's never seen a map um, and he hears about this promised land Canaan which is where his ancestors 15 generations ago came from he's never been there um, perhaps has no real sense of direction no real sense of how long it's going to take um, he's been through this bizarre uh, Passover process and he's been asked to um, took his shirt into his belt, ready, ready for a big hike. Um, but that's probably as much as he knows. And actually, it's not just the little boy's experience, it's pretty much everyone in the camp. Um, and, you know, this isn't a small community of a dozen people going on a hike. and leaving this is two and a half million people. It's a logistical nightmare. Um, and it would take nothing short of a miracle for this group of people in mass to exit Egypt in the right direction um, and of course that's what happened they needed God's direct intervention and um, he does it in a remarkable way um, there is still even though we're, we're focusing on the cloud and the fire um, there is still a whole load of stuff that we're not really told about um, as to how organised it was, you know, were there any instructions? Did they instinctively know what to do? These two and a half million people. Um, so much of that is left to our imagination. But the key thing is what we need to know. We are told, and I just um, capture it in that text of verse twenty-two: the pillar of cloud by day. And the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And that was the evidence of God's presence. And it was the evidence of his presence and the evidence of his leadership. Because amazingly, it moved. <laughs> um, and it moved in a way that they all could see it. And en masse, they were able to follow it. Um, we also read in some of those other verses um, <coughs> from the next chapter that in this community, I don't know how much space it would occupy. I was in a, a church hall the, the other day, I forget which one it was now, and they have that quite famous picture of the Israeli camp with um, all of the um, tribes laid out. And it's a massive area. It must many square miles. So, of course, they're all condensed people now and they're, they're not camped. Um, and they've got this cloud and it, it's, it's visible to them all and it's moving around and they get to the Red Sea 
and the cloud moves from the, from the front. You can imagine them following it um, and then it stops. So they stop and actually there's nowhere else to go because it's the Red Sea. And then um, the cloud seems to move over and it comes in behind them and it becomes a barrier to the Egyptian army. And you have that amazing statement that God looked down from the cloud and caused confusion in the Egyptian army. This is a, a multi-functional um, miracle that, that God has performed. And it, it's amazing because it's in the sight of, of um, all of Israel. And it has all these different facets. Demonstrates his presence. It provides direction. It provides protection. It confuses the enemy. Um, and it's there in the daytime and in the nighttime. Um, this little story is loaded, isn't it, with gems for our own um, experience with God as someone. And, and you know, we, we can take this home as a personal encouragement. But this is about a, a corporate, this is about a people. And it's a big organisation, it's two, two and a half million people. And um, it's the way God demonstrates all of those things, his miraculous presence, very visible, his leadership, his protection, um, and his frustration of the enemy. You know, we, we need all of those things in our own lives, individually. We need God's, we need evidence of God's presence. I was thinking that um, that little boy in the Is Israelite camp, I'm envious of him because he saw a physical evidence of God's presence. And, um, you know, it would have never been seen before. This is, this is a miracle. Um, and he'd look at that, and I can imagine him with his pals, thinking, you know, that is just amazing. And look, it's kind of moving and we're following it. And we've been told that this is the presence of God amongst us. And we, we need that um, reassurance. We don't have it physically but we have it in, um, in God's word in a powerful, powerful way. Um, those of us who were at the event yesterday, you couldn't help but be moved by Dave Totten's testimony. It was so touching. And his, um, his comment was, his opening comment was, I'm only here because of God's grace in my life. Um, and you know there there is no in his little story there's no physical uh, evidence of God there, but um, his story and we've each got our own story that demonstrates the reality of God's presence, His grace, uh, bringing us to where we are. And um, for me, that's a a powerful lesson from the little that we know about. Um, the cloud and the fire it's, it's God's presence and then it's, uh, it's direction you know, we, we wring our hands often don't we thinking um, I wish God's direction was clear and in those days when they had no map, no google no sat nav um, they were just totally dependent and it was obvious when that cloud moved and it wasn't always moving uh, the, the message was clear if it's not moving then stay put if it's moving then follow it 
we so need to have an appreciation of the presence of God and the direction of God. We go to um, 2 Timothy 3 and 16, talking about the preciousness of God's word. And it says, because of God's word, the man of God is thoroughly equipped. You know, there is nothing... Um, we, we have far more of God's direction than the people of Israel had by this moving um, cloud and fire. Um, we have a need in our own lives of God's protection. And so often the, our enemy is subtle. The Egyptian en enemy wasn't very subtle. Um, there was the whole of the Egyptian um, chariot corp, whatever that's called, were put into action to chase the, the people of Israel. Um, this is not subtle. Um, and because of God's miraculous protection, he just threw them into confusion. And you can just see the physical way that happened because there was this mysterious fog, is how I see it. And it was a fog that you, know, you could touch. Um, and the, it was impenetrable. And it, um, it stopped your seeing, it stopped your hearing. Um, and I don't know whether they had any sense of the presence of the divine, but God looked down from the cloud and he threw them into confusion. You know, that, that goes on um, even when we don't know about it, that God is frustrating <coughs> the enemy and protecting us um, all the time. And we, we should remember that and look out for it, look out for God's protection in our experience. And then the simple, simple truth that it was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You get the impression from some of those later verses that I read that um, maybe the fire was, all, was there all the time, but it wasn't necessarily visible until it went dark. I kind of get that impression. So you have this um, glow in the cloud um, and the very presence of the cloud in the day was, was clear, but at night it would glow and it would be a demonstration of God's presence. Um, I don't know whether it provided warmth. I have been in the desert at night and it's freezing. Um, don't put me right if you've found some evidence of it providing warmth for the people, but um, you know, you, you look, sometimes you just look at a glow, don't you? And you get um, a warm fuzzy as a consequence of that. Maybe that's uh, another function that this miracle of God's presence amongst them, providing assurance, protection, direction. I've kind of um, described those things in the context of a little boy and what he would see and what he would get out of it. But this is, for us today, it's to see the wonder of God's care for his people. And just like in our own individual spiritual lives we crave his presence and his direction and his protection that's got to be our aspiration as his people too you know in our time and situation it does feel like god's people are under vicious attack we're a declining community and 
You know, we, we should be burdened, I think, with understanding the reasons for that. That's perhaps a responsibility for us all, but maybe more so for overseers. But let's take comfort from the story of the Exodus, that God was always providing his presence and his direction and his protection amongst his people. You know, um, sadly, there is evidence that, you know, we were talking about this as a miracle and God performed other miracles that have never been seen before or since. Things like the provision of manna. Um, and sadly, the, the miraculous became mundane. You know, isn't that amazing? After a short period of time, they get so used to the pillar of fire and the, and the, the cloud by day and the manna um, and the the um, the meat that God provided, they even got fed up of it, and the miraculous becomes mundane through complacency. And my point in thinking about us as God's people is, we ought never to lose sight of the preciousness of His people to Him, and how much He gave. For his people and the fact that he loves them he loves to be present with them he loves to provide them with direction and he loves to provide them with protection and those those truths those realities um, are our experience and we should always remember them as the story evolves of course it becomes it seems to me more and more conditional God starts to explain to the people um, his expectations of them. And there are times when he seems to withdraw. And maybe there's a lesson as we um, get more and more into the story um, of understanding what it is that is blocking, apparently blocking God's, pres God's blessing from us in certain areas. That's for another day. We read that uh, God's plan wasn't to take them via the route of the Philistines, which it says was near. The land of Canaan, if they'd gone by that route, and you, you would see it on a map, is, is near, relatively speaking. And he, he didn't do that because he felt that that was a dangerous path and, and the people who um, were not skilled in fighting, they get don't get terrified. Imagine the Philistines that were all trained and um, well equipped and all the rest of it and they're in the way. They're between the people and Canaan. So God in his wisdom um, chose to take a longer, safer path. And at that time, um, I'm pretty confident that that longer, safer path wasn't the 40 years that it turned out to be. That was for another reason. But it was God giving a slightly circuitous route in order to protect the people. And again, a really simple message there, that sometimes um, you know, there are, there's direction that we're given, there's um, routes that we take, and they're, they're God-controlled. And they might not be the best route from our perspective, but from his, the, the safest route. Just a, a really 
simple truth. It's an interesting verse. It says the people went out of Egypt equipped for battle. I'm surprised that they even had an army, to be honest. I mean, they were refugees that had become slaves, maybe expert brick builders. I don't have the sense that um, they had a great military presence with um, you know, weapons and training and all that stuff. It's interesting when you look at what the NIV describes as equipped for battle. The older version says harnessed. It says they were, they left Egypt harnessed. That's all it says. And when you look at that, it's more to do with a, the way a regiment is organised in a march. And the literal word talks about um, soldiers moving forward five abreast. And it reminds me of a little illustration, a, a picture I used to have in a, in a children's Bible when I was a, a child um, of the people going through the Red Sea. And I never, I never appreciated this before, but it showed them all in, in a whole column of people marching five abreast. Um, so you know, my, my original thought in that the people had gone equipped for a battle, maybe there was a sense of their own independence. You know, this isn't going to be easy, so we better, you know, take our swords and our catapults and whatever else it might be. Um, and, you know, the reality is that would have been pathetic against any of the local armies around. Um, their protection was, was God. And um, perhaps the very, you know, the, the only thing that they could really do that would demonstrate the force that they could be under the control of God was to get themselves organised. You know, if there'd been a marauding crowd uh, rushing down a road, it would be complete um, chaos. But you have the sense that this was, there was some organisation to it. And as you see these people marching forward, if you were looking at it from the outside, that would be quite formidable, two and a half million people. Um, it's almost like a tactic. You know, and God was able just to, by getting them organised, to perhaps have an impact on those people around them. They'd think twice, um, even though that um, they weren't, in my judgment at least, uh, at this stage, they weren't a, a formidable army by any stretch. Um, you know, we're, we're encouraged... We're in a battle, we're fighting, but our resources and our power is um, <coughs> by God Almighty. But there is an element of us being coordinated, you know, and maybe there's a little picture here of the church, it's a community we're talking about, of being totally dependent on God for our battle, but also having some coordination about us. Just something uh, to think about. I wanted to uh, finish with a, a comment about um, this business about Joseph's bones. That's kind of thrown in uh, amongst the story of the people exiting Egypt. A um, couple of other references. It goes to Hebrews 11 and it says, By faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Um, and then 
the actual event itself, the, the last um, days of Joseph's life, so you get that from Genesis 50. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Uh, I'm thinking it's probably 350 years prior to the Exodus and this um, message had been passed down and Moses took on the responsibility of finding that coffin with um, Joseph's bones and would have been pretty awkward wouldn't it having, having that to carry amongst all of the other stuff that's going on you can imagine him nominating a few people to um, carry this ancient relic um, which contained Joseph's bones to fulfil his wish something that I'd never realised is when Joseph's father Jacob died um, which would have been again um, maybe 400 years earlier uh, close on 400 years earlier Joseph and his brothers made a trip back to Canaan I hadn't realised that um, bear in mind that they'd left Canaan because of the famine but they made a trip back to Canaan to fulfil his father's wishes to um, be buried in the promised land and this was now Joseph you know, he was a very important official in Egypt still when he died you know, so there's no evidence I don't think of this slavery thing going on then but Joseph had this um, fundamental understanding that God's made a promise to us to our forefathers and it ain't going to be fulfilled in Egypt so um, you, at some point he will rescue us from Egypt this is not my resting place my resting place is where God um, has given us that ultimate promise and uh, it just speaks to the the vision, the long-term vision and commitment that Joseph had about God's will. And again, the message for us is um, the temporariness of where we're at and what we have uh, to look forward to in the long term. Again, maybe lots of different angles you can look at this, but my mind went to Brian Tugwell's talk yesterday. He was talking about the, tran the physical transformation that we will know in our bodies in a future day. Um, and you know, he painted a picture that is such a wonderful thing for us to look forward to. And maybe even though he knew it wouldn't be fulfilled in his own time, Joseph had that um, vision too. One day, um, my family who are currently refugees and will be for a long time, will be back in their own land. Uh, a land flowing with milk and honey and that will be the place where they can serve God and worship God the way he intended them to. So um, just four points I would leave as a, as a challenge, rattle through them. Recognising the presence and direction and protection of God in our pilgrimage. Um, and it's about individuals but it's about people the danger of a miracle becoming mundane getting used to the wonder of being saved 
getting used to the thrill of being God's people. Uh, we should guard against that. Equipped for battle. Really? Not in our own strength. For sure we get organised, but we're dependent on our God for the battles that we face. And then our place of rest, it's not here. It's um, in, a, in a future place where we're transformed into glory. Um, some very precious but maybe quite simple truths and we'll look forward to seeing more of the same, I think, as we uh, explore uh, more of the Exodus story. We have one lesson left, which is David King next week, and that's um, the, the Red Sea situation. So we'll look forward to that. Shall we pray?